Evening, church. I want to title my sermon tonight, Everyone Wants Good Neighbors. So the nostalgia, um, if you watched that show, I didn't watch it. It just, it just came on after The Simpsons, and I always hear the, you know, neighbors, everybody wants good neighbors. You guys know the rest. Church, I want you to travel with me back to 2,000 years to witness this scene. There was a crowd like you guys, and there was Jesus standing up and he's teaching, and everybody else was on the ground sitting. But there was this lawyer, this lawyer who was an expert of the law. He, he was the expert of the Torah, which is pretty much the first five books of the Old Testament. He is an Old Testament guru. And he's sitting down with everyone else, but he's listening, but in his mind, he's thinking to himself, huh? You have a crowd that follows you from city to city. You seem pretty popular, right? But I have this question. I have my question and it's going to trap you and it's going to prove you wrong. You don't even know what's going to hit you, Jesus. You son of God, like you claim to be. (laughs) What he was doing, it was a growing trend throughout the gospel narratives because there were many other cases where where the Jerusalem council, the leaders of Jerusalem will send their very best to test Jesus. They will also send in spies, like undercover cops from the 9-9 that will come. They will, they will listen in, but not sincerely because they're there just to try to catch Jesus when he slip. And so they can slip. And when he says something against the law, they can put him away once and for all. So amongst the crowd, this lawyer, he, he stands up, which is a sign of great respect when a student wants to show respect to their teacher. They would stand up and wait to be asked. It's just like today in our school system. I think some kids still put up their hands and wait to be asked. Those are the polite kids. They're very rare. I don't see them that much anymore. And so he stands up, but oh boy, he has different motives. Now he has a question, but he wasn't looking for an answer. What he was asking for was trouble. And so he stands up and he, he's feeling pretty confident. He, he knows his stuff. He feels well equipped. And then he asks Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is an important question. It's one of the, it's the most important question of all time. What must I do to gain eternal life? And as the crowd, you would have whipped out your popcorn and you would be like, oh boy, now we have a show. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah. Waiting in anticipation. But Jesus doesn't answer this question because He's God and he knows exactly what's going on. He knows that this boy doesn't, he's not asking for an answer. He's just asking for the sake of questioning. And so Jesus, he doesn't answer. He questions back with his own question. Oh, tables have turned. Hey, how would you answer this question? Taking the back sweat but he's trying to pretend to keep calm he is an expert after a while and he's quoting the scriptures from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Boom. Yeah, I got it. And he's feeling pretty proud. And Jesus' reply was, that's right. You got it. Now do this and you will have eternal life. And then it just gets, where's the text? Can we have the text up? And then it gets awkward within the text because it says he's assuming the lawyer, he isn't doing this because everyone already knows this answer. Loving God perfectly and loving your neighbor perfectly. That's, it's, that's the answer, but it's almost impossible. And he's feeling ticked off because of what Jesus said. Everyone, Jesus, everyone already knows that answer. You need to add a little more. And the Bible says he's trying to justify himself now. Jesus, you're trying to make me look like a fool. Or, all right, who is my neighbor? There's no need to debate about loving God because there's only one God and that's pretty easy. That's pretty clear. But now who's that part when it comes to about loving the neighbor? Who? Who's the neighbor? Who do you find? Who do you define as the neighbor? So look to your neighbor and ask who's the neighbor? Okay, the person that you just asked. (laughs) Because during this time, why is he asking this? Because during this time, the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they have already established, they have already labelled who their neighbour was. It boils down in a nutshell to who's your neighbour? A Jewish person is your neighbour. And who's not your neighbour is a Gentile, meaning a person that's not Jewish. So who do you love? Who do you show love to? You show love to your own people. And who you don't show love to is people outside of our race. And of course, the whole Jewish community loves this and they accept this. They're, they're riding along with it. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's, I think that's what God means when he says to love our neighbor. And the reason why this lawyer is asking this is because he knows that if Jesus, if you say that, the neighbor isn't a Jewish person. You'll just lose everyone's support right now, the crowd support. And Jesus, I know you've been going around and preaching that we should love everybody. So choose, define for me. In a sense, he's asking Jesus, define for me, whom shall I love and whom shall I not love? Define that for me, Jesus. And he's smirking at this point. And then this is here, and then this is where, here comes one of the most well-known parables of the Bible. It's up there with the prodigal son. And for Christians, you have heard this parable growing up in Sunday school. You would have probably heard this sermon preached a lot of times. Even if you're non-Christian and you're here for today, it's a good week because even if you're non-Christian, you haven't been to church, you probably have heard the term the Good Samaritan before. But before we dig into what the Good Samaritan is all about, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We pray that you send the Holy Spirit to teach us, to help us, to reveal to us what this text really means. May we see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Jesus starts off the story with there was a road, a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
in everyone's mind would have clicked and the image, what they saw would have been something like this on, up on the screen. This is what Jerusalem, the road to Jerusalem and Jericho, it looks like a whole bunch of nothing. And it just looks like mountains. From Jerusalem to Jericho, geographically, it is 27 kilometers apart. Now, the highest point in Jerusalem is 800 meters above sea level, and the lowest point in Jericho is 225 meters below sea level. So one's above sea level and one's below sea level. So in this short distance of 27 kilometers, what you have is an elevation loss of 1,025 meters. So if you didn't get any of the numbers, what I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to make is this short distance is steep. It's almost vertical with a whole bunch of twists and turns and, and you can walk into dead ends where you will face nothing but a cliff and all you see is nothing but air. So this, this road, everyone knows about this road. It, it was famous. It was actually infamous. According to history, two historians even write about this place. Jehoshaphat and another guy's name was Jerome. Jerome. <laughs> and they called this road and they named it the way of the blood or the path of blood. Because this is notorious. This place is notorious for the amount of murder, destruction, and people disappearing magically. This place is, yeah, this is where all the thieves and the thugs gather. Now, how was there so many thieves and thugs at this point gathered around this place? Well, what happened was, according to Jehoshaphat, was King Herod. He cut loose the workforce of 35,000 workers, construction workers of Rome, and it's called a budget cut. We all understand what that means. And so there was a whole bunch of unemployment. People couldn't sustain themselves. And so they used this road as a term of employment for themselves, the, to feed themselves. And so what they know is in this, this last stretch from, to Jerusalem city, you have to go through this road. It's the last stretch of the journey. You have to go through this road. It's a popular road. Despite if you like it or not, it's... It's a good place with all rocks and hidden caves and little cliffs. This is a good place to make people disappear. This is a good place to destroy evidence. This is a good place where anybody that walks with belongings is an easy target and a sitting duck for mugging. And Jesus says, there was this man... He fell into the hands of the robbers. They stripped him of his clothing and they continually beat him. They continued to beat him and beat him until they left him nearly dead. This guy, he was in a condition where if he doesn't get medical attention, he would die. What Jesus said has not shocked anybody in this crowd at the moment. This was a cultural norm. They know and they knew of this bloody pass. So it made sense. Yeah, robbers, yeah, they, they took all his, he owned, his phone, his wallet, his Yeezy shoes, <laughs> his rings, his bling-blings. They took everything. And they also took his clothes. And you're like, what? Who mugs clothes? Back in the past, people only spent their money really on two major things, Food and clothes. Actually, that's the same as today. 
You don't want to steal a few shekels. No, no, you steal their clothing because that's where the real investment lies. And so you must be thinking as a crowd, they didn't even leave him with his dignity, these, these callous monsters. What are they? They're so evil. But then a priest, Jesus continued, but then a priest, a priest. And as you heard it, you're, you're kind of jumping for joy. You're kind of excited. Oh, this is, this is good. The hero has come because priests are respectable characters. And the crowd was left disappointed because all Jesus says, the priest, he came and he fully ignored and he went off on his way. Now that's all you read in the English. Can we have the text back up, please? We read in the English, but in the Greek, it's actually more brutal than that because it's, it literally means anti-go against. So when he saw this corpse guy, he didn't even check it out. He just went, nah. And he just walks away and finds another path. That's, this priest had no love for this guy at all. He doesn't even know if this guy is dead or alive. Priests often walk from Jerusalem to Jericho because priests often work in Jerusalem, but they lived in Jericho. So it's, they would work in Jerusalem for like two weeks and then they would come back home. It's like our engineers who work in the oil rigs or the, the mines, it's called fly in, fly out, 5-0. So it's like that. They will spend some time in the temple and then they will come back down. And so when he sees this guy, he's like, man, according to rabbinic law, if this guy is a corpse now, if I touch him, even if he was alive and I'm carrying him along the way and he suddenly dies on me, you know what that's going to be like? I have to go back to the temple and spend another week to try to, de- to clean myself from this defilement. It's not like this guy could text his wife, oh, sorry, honey, I'm caught up at work. He couldn't do that. And so he just goes off on his way. The crowd was left disappointed. But then a second character, Jesus says, a Levite comes along. And you hear murmuring in the crowd, oh, yes, it's going to be good. Surely, surely he would help this guy. But Jesus says, nope, he also sidestepped and dodged and went off on his way. Seriously? Seriously, everyone is questioning now. And again, when Jesus is talking about priests, Levites, and this road, it's all making sense to them. This robber and this man, it's, it's all a norm. It's, this is a common type of story. Because where you serve is in Jerusalem and where you live is in Jericho. In the city of Jericho, they had about 10,000 priests at that time. It was the city of priests and Levites. What they will do is they will serve in the temple. And if they can't live in Jerusalem, the next best city to live in is Jericho. And so they will often, these are two groups of people that will often walk up and down this road all the time. Why? Because they were the most safest to go on this road. Why? Because most of the muggers and the thieves, they were Israelites, they were Jews. And even the most vilest, most meanest, most nasty thugs would not kill a priest, would not touch a priest, and would not even hurt a priest or a Levite. And so when these guys walk on this road, it's a walk in the park to them, but everybody else, good luck. So equivalent today, it's like the godfather of the mafia family respecting the, the priest's father. 
they, they, they don't. The mafia, they usually leave the priests alone. It's, it's, it's equivalent to that. And so these muggers, they would leave these priests and Levites alone. So this is, this is common. Every, Jesus, everything that you're saying is, is very common at the moment. But there's confusion. Everyone's just glancing at one another. What's, what's going on? Oh boy, this better get good real soon because, because I'm feeling angry because you don't go after our priests. You don't go after our Levites. People are hoping on the edge of their seats, waiting. Okay, Jesus, I normally know how his story ends. He, he talks about how this is probably going to be a great Jewish person like Moses, David, Abraham. He's going to come down the hill, save the boy, and this is going to be a happy ending. But they have no idea that Jesus was going to pull the trigger, that Jesus was going to drop the bomb. They had no idea. And then Jesus continues, and next, a Samaritan came. People are hyperventilating. People are not breathing well. People are borrowing each other's asthma puffers. Why? Why? Even the disciples were saying, Peter, quick, hurry up, start the car and leave the engine on just in case we have to make a quick getaway. Because Jesus, our Lord, has just said the S word. The crowd is probably thinking, Man, this Samaritan, he isn't the hero. Isn't this the villain coming back to finish off his deed? You know, he saw that the guy was alive. Is he going to finish him? Because why is a Samaritan in Jewish territory? Why is a Samaritan in Jewish territory? They could be killed for that. He's up to no good. This must be the villain of the story. And if you remember a few weeks back, if you were with us um, in this journey when we were talking about Jesus, I've been talking about Samaritans for, for my last two sermons. And we know the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. They hate each other. There was this unhealthy relationship where the Jews will look at a Samaritan and they feel, oh man, you are an abomination. You are devil spawn. Okay, you are the work of the devil himself. Jews marrying Gentiles, and now you become halflings? Oh, ew, yuck. And church, I'm going to teach you a swear word today. Not in Vietnamese, but <laughs> in, a, in a Hebrew swear word. Because one of the most offensive things that you can say to someone, one of the swear words that they counted was, was if you want to learn a burn, okay, I'll, I'll teach you. It's, it's from John Chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews said to Jesus, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Okay, that's the best thing that Jesus' opponent out of anger could say to Jesus. That was the most offensive thing is saying, you are demon-possessed Samaritan. It's equivalent to our N-word today, which I would not say in any circumstance. It's equivalent to the N-word looking astonished at the wide-eyed crowd, Jesus just calmly, coolly continues. Let me tell you what this Samaritan did, and he's emphasized, Samaritan did. He stops because he has this 
gut-wrenching compassion within him. He moves toward this man, bandage his wounds. He pours out oil, which would have used to help heal the open wounds. And he would use wine to clean the wounds, to disinfect it. And then this Samaritan man, he places this, this injured man on his donkey and leads the donkey back into town. Now, church, don't miss this because this is important. Because back then, if you know your Bibles well, you know your Old Testament well, to be riding a donkey, it's a position of prestige, power, and prominence. And the person who leads the donkey, that's a position of a slave. And so what this Samaritan did was he placed this injured man above himself and he was willing to serve and lead this donkey back into town. Not only that, took him to an inn, looks after him, food, clothes, whatever, other medicines. You can read how much into that you want. But then the man, before he leaves, gives the inn owner two denarii. And he says, you know what? I know he's going to stay a bit longer, but just put it on my tab. You know me. I, I travel this path a lot. You know me. I'm, I'll sign for it. I'll guarantee it. I will cover the cost. Now, in those days, there was no such thing as bankruptcy protection laws. Because if this man, if he stays there more than two weeks, because that's how much two denarii can afford him to stay in the inn for two weeks. And if he can't pay, what happens is he will just be forced to sell himself into slavery. And the Samaritan man, he knows this guy can't pay. First of all, he was just mugged. He has no wallet. He has no ID. It's not like this guy can call his friend, email his family, wire his savings account to the, the innkeeper. There was none of that. So this man was at the total mercy of the Samaritan. But the Samaritan had the mercy and says, you know what? I will pay for you. I will really I'll be willing to pay everything. So what the Samaritan did was not just save the guy from death, but also save the guy from slavery. Because if you can't pay, you just become a slave. That's it. End of story in that culture. So finishing up this story, Jesus turns to the lawyer. So, okay, Mr. Expert of the law. So let me ask you, out of the three characters, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, who is the neighbor? Come on, you have 33% chance reoccurring to get this right. Stumped, the lawyer says. Well, well, I guess it's the s- I guess it's the s-. He couldn't even say the word because there's no way that he's going to say the S word on his self-righteous lips. And he just goes, up. Oh. <clears throat> The one who had mercy. And Jesus just says, go and do likewise. So that ends our passage, but let me start explaining it. In one sense, you can read this passage at its face value. When the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus, can you shine that light? Can you shine the light on who my neighbor is? You know? But then Jesus turns around and he says, no, 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 no don't ask who is your neighbor? Be a neighbor. Shines the spotlight back on him. Boom. 
Because in our mindsets today, even when I talk about, you know, neighbours, you're pretty much asking, is it the person sitting next to me? Does the person behind me count? How far from the row is my neighbour? How far down the street counts as my neighbour? Who's my neighbour? And God's pretty much is saying today, pretty much anyone that God brings across your path. No, no, you be a neighbour. Don't ask who your neighbour is. You be a neighbour. Why is this? Because most Christians today, uh, this is just human nature. Out of the three characters, who would you like to be? Would you like to be the priest, Levite or Samaritan? Of course, we all just want to pick the good Samaritan. Why? Because he's the hero of the story. He's the protagonist. He's, he's the cool guy. He's the really generous guy and everyone wants to be the good Samaritan. And so we always just choose the main character. It's like this. Last night, I, I had a talk to my wife um, because we've been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I asked her, wife, out of all the Brooklyn Nine-Nine characters, who do you think I am? Who do you think I'm most like? And my ears are burning. She pauses and she says, <laughs> and she says, Jake Peralta, who was the main character in the series. Now, I was really happy. I was, I was like, oh, she just stroked my ego. <laughs> and I said, Demetria, you are an amazing detective slash genius. But in my heart, I knew she was just flirting with me. I knew I was a boil. <laughs> But as long as she did not say I was a Hitchcock or Scully, I'm, I was all good. <laughs> but this is human nature. In every show, every movie, every book that we read, don't you put yourself in as the main character. Don't we all just want to have the spotlight on us? Yeah, I'm the main character in this story. And I'm looking at this parable and I'll admit to you, it is impossible for me to be the Good Samaritan. Impossible. Why? First off, I'm not good. I'm not good. There is no way for me to fulfill this law. Remember the initial question of this whole passage, how this whole passage started was the lawyer asking, how do I gain, how do I earn eternal life? And the answer was love God fully, perfectly and love your neighbour fully, perfectly. And what type of love does this look like? Be like the Good Samaritan. It's impossible for me because my gut feeling tells me when Jesus tells this whole story about the Good Samaritan, he's not saying for us when he says the whole story, it's I have, my gut feeling tells me he's not telling us to have this sort of reaction. Oh, so I could be the good Samaritan and earn my salvation. No, I don't think that was the reaction he wants. I think this story is meant to frustrate us, like how it frustrates the first listeners. It's meant to frustrate us because there is no way, because I know there is no way that my works, my deed, my merits, my looks will get me into heaven. There's no way to earn my salvation. There is no way for me to be the good Samaritan. 
where does this, this scene fit into the gospel narrative of Luke? Now, if you just go one chapter before chapter 10, Luke 9, 51, it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. So this is the hallmark. This is the first time in Luke saying, okay, everything that happened before, it happened because Jesus and everything that's going to happen after, there is a journey. There is an end goal. There is a final destination. There is this impending cross. And so when you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, you have to read it under the light of the cross. Because if you can think you can go to heaven by earning and keeping the law perfectly, by loving God perfectly, by loving your neighbor perfectly, if you could do that, then there was no need for the cross. That's why later on, as a church, we're going to take the Holy Communion together to remind us exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. So it still leaves the question, who is the good Samaritan. Spoiler alert, it's not you. Let me ask you, the Samaritan, he was in Jewish territory, but who also was not to be where he is. He shouldn't even be there. From a perfect place and he's in a sinful place. The Samaritan traversed on a road called the bloody path or the path of blood, but who also traversed on a more deadly road, the road to Golgotha, Calvary, a place marked with suffering and pain. The priests and the Levites, they did not stop for the man, but who was the unlikely hero, the Samaritan? Who else is an unlikely hero that no one really recognizes? Who, who stops and who has compassion, this gut-wrenching feeling, who is drawn to the broken and the hurt and who clothes them with, when they're naked with his righteousness. Who does that? The Samaritan pours out oil, which is the healing of the wound, and wine, which is the cleansing of the wound. But who else? Whose body was broken and by his wounds we were healed and by his blood our sins were cleansed the Samaritan gives up his place of the donkey which represents a position of power, prominence and prestige and instead takes a position of a slave but who else gives up his position of power, prestige and prominence and instead switches place with someone who is wretched and who is so lowly. Who was it that was the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who's meant to be served but is the one serving? Who's that? The Samaritan pays the inn owner two denarii. And says, you know what, anything else I will cover for. Who else is it that covers for our past, present and future depths of sin? 
Who does that? Who saves us from death and saves us a life from slavery? Who takes the crown of thorns and instead gives us a crown of life? Who switches places with us when we were naked, where we had nothing? He clothes us with his righteousness and on the cross, soldiers took his robe and they gambled it away. So who comes and rescues the dead and the damned? Who, instead of showing disgust and judgment, shows mercy? The cursed Samaritan. Who was it that became a curse upon a tree? It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the good Samaritan. No offence, you and I, we are the beggar on the road that's half naked or fully naked. But God so loved the world that he sent his boy down to come for you, to love you, to die for you and to forgive all of your sins. And on the cross he did that. And he says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in conclusion, the law says this, do this and you will live. But the gospel says, because you live, because of what I have done, not what you have done, go therefore and do likewise. God bless you, church.